0: Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. Hope you're enjoying your workout. I hope you're enjoying your, your walk around the house, your drive around. We hear about that all the time from people that you know talk to us and say, hey, I listen to you while I'm driving. I listen to you while I'm, I'm walking on the treadmill. So I hope you're enjoying that. And we want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to listen to us again. This week, we're going to talk to Frank Wieda. Not exactly a household name, but he's uh, kind of been... I don't know, here, there, and everywhere within the muskie industry, done uh, many different roles, and now I think he's just trying to be a tournament angler. What do you think, Brad? Is that kind of what, that, would that be the proper way to sum up Frank?
1: Well, I think Frank has done it all over the past 20 years. I think uh, family maybe kind of put a bump in the road, if you will, and he's coming back full circle. He's doing more tournaments again, as well as getting back to the roots of his muskie fishing.
0: Darn family. They always got to get in the way. They screw things up. You just want to go fishing and you got to take care of these darn kids. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Something like that, right? I mean, that, that's like, that's way more important than muskies, that's for sure. But uh, at the end of the day, I think whatever's been ingrained into us with, you know, that foundation that was created early in our lives and for a lot of us, that musky fish definitely was the musky. And uh, maybe if it wasn't the musky, it was panfish or walleyes or whatever it might have been. But we always come full circle, and and musky anglers are kind of just pure musky anglers at the end of the day, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you got to try to as you, as you get older and you you know more obligations, you got to try to balance things out a little bit. It's you know partially why things you know, with me have cut into my time on the water a little bit, but like you said, it'll come full circle. My kids will get older and they won't want to be hanging out with dad anymore. I hope they do, but I'm, I'm sure at some point they won't, they won't think hanging out with dad's cool. And, and they'll, uh, they'll go do their own thing or, you know, grow up and leave the house or whatever. And I'll have all this time to musky fish again. At least that's what I keep telling myself, right? Yeah, maybe we can share the boat again, Jeff. Hey, that'd be fun. We should do that sometime. I'm thinking, uh, <laughs> let's see, probably like 2029. 20, I'll schedule it for you. All
1: right, sounds good. I might be in a wheelchair by then, <laughs> but I mean, if you're willing to push me, well, I shouldn't say that. Maybe you'll push me off
0: a dock. Maybe but, we'll see uh, how things go. <laughs> <laughs> if you can pick me up and throw me in the boat, let's go. Absolutely. We want to remind everybody that we will be uh, coming out to the Milwaukee Muskie Expo here again I should have paid attention to the dates I think it's the 17th 18th and 19th it's that um, like the third weekend I believe in in February we'll be out there it's actually West Bend we call it the Milwaukee show because it used to be actually in Milwaukee at the State Fairgrounds there but then they moved it slightly north here to West Bend so we'll be out there soon enough hoping we see many friendly faces out there as we did in the Chicago Muskie Expo. Again, can't thank everybody enough for their support there. We've been talking about that you know, last week, and, and I'll mention it again. So thank you all for that, and hopefully we'll see many smiling faces in West Bend. And if you're looking for musky gear, you can come see us there, as I just talked about, but you can also visit teamrhinooutdoors.com. We continue to add new and more products to the website every day, it seems like. New colors, more stuff, more gear. It's all what we do. It's just that time of year. So if you need gear for... 2023. Check out teamrinooutdoors.com, and you can also go check out muskymayhemtackle.com. Brad, I'm sure you guys have a few things that are new this year to talk about.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, the the newest part to our business is the mini grenade, and as we went to the Chicago show and the early kind of release previous to the shows, definitely is taken right off. If you haven't seen it or haven't heard about it. You can definitely go check out Mayhem's 10,000 cast. We, this past episode, I believe was number four, um, episode number four, we definitely highlight some of the mini grenade stuff that happened on that uh, particular trip. So it definitely is a, a bait that it's smaller than the Big Brother, the, the normal grenade that we came out with last year. It's smaller. It's got seven blades on it. It's shorter. It's got smaller profile. Definitely seems to be a hit right now, Jeff. So, you know, and then you can go back and you can circle back. You know, you want to go old school, double showgirls and double cowgirls. And then you can look at the triggers and detonators and all the different things that have taken place over the years. We have it. You can come to our website and check it out. You can go right to Team Rhino Outdoors and check it out there as well. And we're going to see you in Milwaukee.
0: Well, Brad, I don't know about you, but I don't have anything else to add to this intro. So if, we, uh, if you don't have anything else to add, I think we should dial up our conversation. Let's get after it. All right, our guest this week is Frank Wieda, and the reason we have Frank on is we're going to talk a little bit about progression as a muskie angler. Frank's also a friend of Brad's, so I guess Brad vouched for him. I've only talked to Frank for about uh, 18 minutes now, and so we're going to get rolling. But Frank, I want to thank you for taking time out of your schedule to come out and talk muskie fishing with with us. Many of our listeners probably have no idea who you are and why you're coming on a podcast, but we're going to get that information right now. So Frank, why don't you talk a little bit about your journey as a musky fisherman and, uh, you know, why, you know, what, I guess, what got you into this crazy fish?
2: Well, that's a good question, right? Well, thanks for having me, you guys. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've been musky fishing for a long time and I think Brad's going to lose a little bit of his street cred by having me as a guest. I don't know that I'd publicly tell people that you're my friend, Brad, Probably not the best idea. (laughs) (laughs) I think it'll work out, Frank. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Um, Well, I started as a muskie angler when I was uh, 12 or 13 years old and then progressed from that to being a part-time, full-time guide to fishing the PMTT and then graduated into fly fishing for muskies after that. So now I'm circling back into gear fishing. The muskie sport is an interesting thing, always challenging and fun to learn new stuff and Muskies definitely provide that. The Muskie community is super unique in a lot of different ways, I suppose.
1: I mean, you did the walleye side. You've tournament fished quite a bit. You should kind of maybe fill everybody in on how that transitioned in, in the
2: years or whatever. Once I got into my early 20s, um, I started guiding for walleyes on the St. Croix and uh, fished the M- MWC. And then I did the Minnesota Walleye Trail. And then I did a big water series and then, uh, fished the MTTs. And then I also fished a couple of aim events. And then I had my first kid and I kind of pumped the brakes on the whole thing. And now I'm back. <laughs> so that's how that went. And, uh, getting back full swing into gear fishing for muskies and going back out on the aim circuit this year. So looking forward to this season for sure.
0: I was going to ask you, like, so you're going down the walleye tournament trail deal and then you're back into muskies Why? why would you ever quit the walleye side there's money involved there there's no money essentially in muskie tournaments for the most part if you win or come in second you'll probably be all right but much after that it's slim pickings it seems like
2: i wouldn't disagree with you there and that's well we did the pmtt for two years and then uh went back to walleye you know the travel cost and the entry fee versus payout is a lot better on Local walleye tournaments, for sure. Here in Minnesota, anyways.
0: I won't try to discourage people from fishing musky tournaments because I learned I, you know, met a ton of cool people on the on the tournament trail. But if like making a living in musky fishing or making money musky fishing is your goal, there's probably about a hundred other ways you could do it in the fishing industry aside from fishing tournaments. Like I said, there's a handful of guys that make money doing it. I mean, it's not very consistent either. It's definitely a tough way to go about it. And there's no doubt about that, but certainly it's fun and rewarding. I mean, like I said, I've met lots of lifelong friends already doing it. It's been a blast. You can learn some stuff, but if making money is your goal, it's definitely not the way to go.
2: You won't hear any argument out of me. You do learn to be a much better musky angler by fishing the PMTT, I, I think.
0: I can't disagree I mean, with you at all. I mean, a hundred percent, it's... Well, for one, I mean, you can, you get, I mean, you can, surprisingly, some of these guys will give up some information. If you listen closely They're they, they keep it a little close to the vest, but in a lot of cases you can get something out of it that way. But if, if anything, you just can see, you know, if you keep your eyes open on the water, you'll know, be like, um, some of the older anglers we talk to, they talk more about, you know, being, you know, just being like present on the water, not so much in your electronics. And if you do that, you kind of watch how guys work baits. You can watch how guys approach structure you can watch how fast they work baits and and things like that, and it's just it's interesting to see some of that stuff, and it's definitely a fun time. And you, and like I said, it's definitely an educational deal, so I won't ever regret doing it. But like I said, the the time ratio to pay out and the expenses to pay out is yeah, it's questionable.
2: I mean, the math isn't on your side if you're if you're trying to turn profit fishing. I mean, a lot of circuits, to be honest. I'm not trying to pick on the PMTT. Um, it's mostly for fun, right? You know? and uh, But the level of focus that comes into a tournament really ups your musky game, I think. Like, knowing that you're one cast away from making maybe 8500 bucks, or winning the new Ranger or whatever at the time, you know, or recon now, I guess. But you never give up, or at least you shouldn't, you know? You're a lot more intense. And if you can take 10% of that effort and apply it to musky fishing after work, you're definitely more successful. So let's go full circle.
1: Okay. We're talking about walleyes. We're talking about uh, the muskie tournament trails. Where did Frank get his start in this whole deal? I mean, your, your story is pretty interesting actually, Frank, and I don't know exactly what your age is, but I, I have a pretty good idea of where you are. But, You started at a young age, and I think that's unlike a lot of other muskie anglers out there. I think it kind of comes full circle. I mean, it's always been said the entry drug is panfish, right? The entry drug to fishing is panfish. So how did
2: this all kind of unravel for you? I was really fortunate. I mean, my dad fished, and my grandfather fished a ton. Starting in fifth grade, he would basically take me fishing Monday through Friday, for the, my entire summer break, and uh, he had a pop up camper in the back of an F one fifty, and that's what we stayed in, and we traveled the Midwest fishing. And uh, we have family in Michigan, and we were on our way to go stay with them for a week, and uh, we stopped. I don't might have been Lady Smith, and I picked up my first musky hunter magazine, and I was like, "Whoa, musky fishing looks really cool. I need to give this a try." My grandpa ended up finding like a 5'6 Eagle Claw. I don't know if you guys remember these rods from way back in the day, but it looked like a banana, like bright yellow fiberglass rod. He found an Abu Garcia 6500C3 for me and put some musky mono on it. And on our way back from Michigan, we stopped, I wish I could remember what lake it was, but some little lake in Eagle River. When we were back in the Bowdoin, my grandpa was notorious for breaking things. And he ended up jackknifing the trailer and broke the tongue. So I was 12 or 13 and he launched the boat and he's like, I'm going to go into town and get it fixed. You go fish. And I, I mean, I couldn't promise you it was a muskie fellow, but in my mind at that time, it, it was a muskie, and that was it. I was hooked ever since.
0: Quick question, Frank, do you ever wish you could go like back to the future Two style, you know, where they're going to chase down the, uh, the almanac so that you can, you know, fix the, fix what's coming in the future. Every wish you'd go back and put that musky hunter back on the shelf and uh, pass up on that completely.
2: Well, and I should have picked up a Bass Masters magazine and went into circuits that pay better. <laughs> 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 Focused on bass fishing. <laughs> no, I don't regret it. Musky fishing is a good time and, and the musky community is full of interesting characters and a lot of good people.
0: It's funny, Brad, we talk, about, we talk to a lot of people, and everybody refers to musky anglers, <laughs> certain ones, as characters. You never notice that? Uh,
1: because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we just did a show a week ago, and, yeah, we're all a bunch of characters. We're all strange. We have to be. I mean, for somebody to go out and put the time and energy into this sport to catch a fish, uh, the learning curve
0: is extreme. We're, we're different. We're unique. And so character is a great word for that. Different is a g- great word, too. I would use something a little more descriptive, but different will work.
2: Yeah, different. Yeah, I would say we're all on the spectrum to a certain degree. I mean, why else would we do this craziness?
0: I think, you know,
1: and I've said this before on the podcast, but it truly does relate back to archery deer hunting. For those guys that are out there that, that bow hunt, they kind of get it. I would say muskies and bow hunting are one of the same in, in that realm anyway. But uh, oh. yeah, we, we, we're all a little bit whacked,
2: I, I guess is the best way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a dirty obsession. It just never kind of, it never leaves your mind. That you think about it all the time. I don't feel that way about walleye. I don't think they miss me when I'm not there, but I think about muskies all the time. But uh, anyway, you want to continue down the, The path to being a muskie maniac through your life, yeah, absolutely,
1: Frank. I mean, continue your story. I mean, it it is interesting. The components that kind of took you and put you in the place of actually fishing muskies, I would say, is quite unique. I mean, there's not very many people that uh, get the opportunity to meet some of these guys unless they go to a show or whatever it might be. But your story is pretty cool.
2: Well, all right, I'll uh, I'll continue with the story. So. My grandpa, through my dad, found out about Bone Lake over in Polk County, Wisconsin, which, you know, anyone listening to this podcast has probably heard of it or fished it. You know, my grandpa was old school, so he liked catching crappies. And we ended up staying at Wilkins Resort on the north end. The rule was if we, I could muskie fish after we went crappie fishing and I cleaned all the crappies, then I could use the boat to go out muskie fishing. I win every day, so I go out between 9 to 4.30, so not exactly the most ideal time for the most part, you know. Eventually, I did manage to catch my first muskie, and it was the first year I really did it, and I counted on a Rizzo with. I don't know if you guys remember those.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Smitty Bates bottom out right now because, uh, you know, unfortunately, Tony passed away a number of years ago, and so... Smitty baits makes them now. Definitely a very popular bait up in northern Wisconsin. Certainly uh I mean, small bait, you can throw it all day long, affordably priced, so it's perfect for a young musky angler. So I can see why you would have gotten into that. And I can imagine back in the day, that thing was probably about a dollar 50. <laughs> I, I don't
2: remember what it was, but I know I used to mow grass in my grandma's neighborhood and I'd get 10 to 20 bucks a yard and then I used all that money for musky fishing.
0: So yeah, they probably were like five bucks or something, you know. They, pro- I mean, I think they're still only right around ten or about ten, you know, give or take. So I can't imagine back. I mean, how long? How long ago do you suppose that was? Twenty years ago, you think, or more?
2: Oh no, I'm thirty nine.
0: Okay. So yeah. So yeah, I'm twenty six years ago. Okay. So yeah, I would imagine five bucks would. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if it was even less. Yeah, I mean, I have, so that
2: first must be summer vacation when I was in seventh grade and I caught it by myself. So I had to net the thing and do the whole party all alone. And, and unfortunately I don't never got a picture of it cause I was alone and nobody had like smartphones. We were using those, uh, Fuji disposable cameras in our boats back then. Yeah. The crazy thing is, is I had those same disposable
1: cameras. A lot of times it was a pole ride. So you could make sure that you got at least one picture with the Polaroid, right? So, and then what I do is on the bottom of that Polaroid, I would write down the, the date, the water temp, um, wind direction, all of those different things on the bottom of that Polaroid so that I'd have my notes. And it's pretty funny. I ran into them here probably a year ago. And I don't even know. I mean, there's hundreds of these stupid Polaroids that, uh, honestly, I could probably go back and look at some of that stuff and, and probably – Relearn some of the things I've probably forgotten that was in the late nineties, early two thousands. And there, there was a lot of good information on that.
2: Yeah, we, we definitely had the Polaroid too, but eventually my grandma ran out of like Polaroids for us to use. <laughs> so we was, it fully defaulted to the Fugees after that. But so we were, I was fishing bone a bunch and then I talked my grandpa into going to go into the Northwest sport show. And we met Herbie and decided to go up the Eagle River for a week when the summer, it must've been like 1997 or something. I was up there. And I remember fishing fifth and Broadway and a couple of the islands right by Herbie's place there. I never did catch one, but it was still a cool experience, especially to to meet Herbie. And I, I bought a bulldog from Herbie that year. I still have it. It's a black with orange tail, which is kind of crazy to think about, you know, that Bulldogs were around that long ago.
1: Yeah. Uh, Do you know, Jeff, what the history is on the Bulldog as far as how many years? I'm trying to remember. We've been around 18 years. I think.
0: I think it was 1993, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 92. Did he just have his 30th anniversary or is he in it now? It's really close. It's got to be right around there.
1: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I, I was thinking a couple of years ago, it was 28. So I'm guessing it probably, it could be this year that it says 30th. I'm not
0: a hundred percent. I definitely want to guess it was 1993 if I was guessing, but I can't tell you for sure. I would, that, that seems about right. But I mean, it's hard to believe it's been around that long. It's also hard to believe how many changes have been made to that bait. Not necessarily like the, you know, like the the bait itself, because the Bulldogs themselves and, you know, I remember where, You know, the same as what I remember now, much smaller, regular sized dog was, you know, that was it back in the day. And now, obviously that's tiny compared to what he has. And just how much that bait has changed the game as far as, you know, paint jobs on rubber and and everything you can do with rubber baits. The bulldog has definitely, you know, changed. It changed musky fishing back then, but it also changed it with, you know, with all the changes that it's gone through as far as like, you know, what they've done with plastic baits.
1: I I think one of the interesting things that Frank and I were just talking yesterday about is, you know, there's people that get hung up on, oh, you gotta have new, you gotta have the newest thing, you gotta do this, you gotta do that. Um, And at the end of the day, well, yeah, muskies, they they don't eat this anymore. And I think the bulldog is a prime example of these fish will continue eating a certain bait. If it's a good bait, it's a staple bait that's been in the industry, guess what? They're gonna continue working. Yeah, I
2: wouldn't, no disagreement here.
0: <laughs> well, Brad, let's talk about something. Uh, at, a, at a risk of putting out a, a bait that you make, you know, one thing about it is, and I'm not saying they won't come back. You know, you, t- you told me how, obviously we all know about the history of the cowgirl that changed musky fishing as well. It, it changed a lot of things in musky fishing. It, just, it didn't just change colors and styles and whatever. I mean, it literally changed the gear that we use to throw these baits with, but in the same instance, I feel like the vibe like muskies could become somewhat, somewhat, somewhat conditioned to maybe the vibration, and then obviously you go change the vibration, and then you come back to it later, and then it, and then it's you know it's all what's what's old is new again kind of a thing, but like with rubber baits, sometimes I feel like they can't can get conditioned as well because all it does is move water, which is what their bait does. What do you you know What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, my thoughts are uh (laughs) it's really strange for me um you know when people tell me that they're conditioned to a cowgirl right i never quit throwing it and guess what i'm still catching just as many fish on it that i did back in the day um maybe it's because nobody else is throwing it uh but a good bait's a good bait and for whatever reason it likes to trick big fish so i continue with that the other thing that i mentioned to frank yesterday about was uh You know, you think about it, and these guys are saying, well, they're all conditioned to it. Well, guess what? The fish that we were fishing 15 years ago are no longer in the system, a lot of them anyway. And so what are we actually conditioning? You know, if you think about it in that aspect as well. I'm not going to say that these fish aren't smart. I'm not going to say that they can't get conditioned, but I think their memory is a little bit shorter than we give them credit for.
0: It's definitely a real possibility. Like I said, it's just something I, I think about or I have thought about, and it's one of those things where, you know, like you were, like you were saying, the fish—they're not all in the you know—they're not all in the system. I'm not saying that once a fish eats a cowgirl that they're never going to eat a cowgirl again. I'm sure there's plenty of instances where they ate one today and they'll eat another one tomorrow. I mean, we. I think oh, I've, sometimes, I've seen it. Yes, yeah, I, I think sometimes we give these fish too much credit.
1: Agreed. Uh, um, it can come down to. You know you talk to the sucker guy and they catch the same fish twice within three hours i mean think about that um now a sucker is live i get that part of it as well but when when they want something or their feed bags are on guess what they're gonna chow and they're opportunistic just like a pike or anything else so I, I think uh, it's more about having that particular bait in the fish's face at the right moment, and um, that's definitely a big part of it as well.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think if you have a musk you set up in a, a pocket of milfoil or any amb- ambush situation and you're burning a bucktail, I, they don't have enough time to be like, hey, that's a cowgirl. I'm not going to eat that. You know, they, they're either going to eat it or they're not in that situation, you know. It's just a trigger, and they only have a second to react. I don't really know how they could get conditioned, to that kind of stuff. Right. Well,
1: we kind of interrupted that whole program of your story, so... Well, it's my <laughs> fault. I
2: brought up bulldog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to blame you, but now now you can continue. <laughs> so, so, anyways, that was the saddest year of muskie fishing in my life. I never caught a muskie my second season. And it wasn't for lack of trying. I mean, I was fishing bone lake five days a week for three months, but towards the end of the season, I was out on bone and a, a guy in an Illumicraft tiller caught a muskie and he was by himself and he asked if I could take some pictures for him. So I cruised over there and took the pictures and he's a really nice, friendly guy or whatever. And probably noticed that a 14 year old was trying really hard to catch a muskie and He's like, you know, if you want, you can jump in the boat and, you know, fish with me for the rest of the night. So I ran back to Wilkins Resort and asked my grandpa if that'd be okay. He said, go for it. So went fishing with this guy. We didn't catch one. It might have even been Labor Day weekend. So back to school, go through the winter, go back to Bone Lake the next season. I see this Alumacraft tiller, Or at least I thought it was that same guy. So I went over there to say hi. And it ended up being Eric Denton and, uh, it was right when he first started guiding and, uh, it was really cool, man. I mean, he took a lot of time to just talk fishing with me and I thought it was really nice of him to do that. And he gave me his card and I mowed a bunch of grass so I could hire him for a guide trip. I ended up meeting him over at Deer Lake and went trolling for muskies for the first time in my life with Eric. And. uh at that time, this was a long time ago, Eric was trolling open water in June, and that was his whole pattern, and it was working really good. And I caught my second muskie uh, with Eric. So that was pretty cool. And uh, he actually, my, my best friend, Brady, who I still muskie fish with this, to this day, him and I ended up going fishing with Eric on Deer Lake, and Brady caught his first muskie ever with Eric, and when we were fishing, Brady smoked me in the forehead with a muskie candy, and then cast my hat off too. So was pretty embarrassed, and Eric didn't think that was that cool. (laughs) So maybe we should have just been trolling the whole (laughs) time. But uh, Eric ended up being a great mentor and really taught us a lot. We ended up fishing with Eric anytime he didn't have a a guide trip, he'd let us jump in and fish with him for the day on Deer Lake. And he wouldn't take any money from us. So Brady and I would stash money in where his uh, gas cap was on his truck, which is pretty incredible. If you think about it, I mean, he's a guy fishing for a living and taking two 14, 15 year old guys out musky fishing whenever he had free time, which is really cool actually.
1: Well, for those that don't know who Eric Jensen is, uh, or was, it's Stevie Jensen's brother. I think Eric probably got Steve into the game too, didn't he?
0: Yeah, he did. Yep. In fact, I mean, I think Eric was probably involved first, and then shortly after Steve got involved, and then obviously the two of them were basically, you know, in business together, you know, and they were, I mean, pretty much inseparable from what I understand.
1: Yeah, the other crazy part to this is, this is how Keys got his start, was because of Eric and Stevie. I mean, uh, Mike Keys had a TV program, but it wasn't just based off of muskies. And if I remember right, basically they took him on his first uh, muskie hunt, if I'm not mistaken.
0: You're not mistaken, that is correct. It also was not called Keys Outdoors, it was back in the day, it was called North Country Adventures is what it used to be called. They used to do all sorts of different stuff, panfish and ice fishing and and, in lots of different stuff. So it sounds to me like these Jensen kids kind of screwed over a whole bunch of people because I pretty much went got my start with Steve. I had been poking around doing a little bit of musky fishing, and ironically, I'd seen him. I'll go back and tell the story. So I went crappie fishing with my dad. It was a Saturday early part of the season, and it was... I mean, it was good. We caught a bunch of fish, but they weren't real big fish. And then I get home and I always would record North Country Adventures. And so I watched the show and they're musky fishing with Steve and Eric. I'm like, wow, that looks like that'd be a lot of fun. So I, you know, kind of start learning a little bit about, you know, musky fishing. And I, I go back to that whole uh, musky hunter thing, probably I picked that up. And of course they had a St. Croix rod on the back of it. The Avid series back in the day, it was like a $200 rod. And I think I got this seven foot rod might've been six six, eight or something like that. It was much shorter than anything we fish with now. But, you know, so I kind of got started there. Well, I poked around that summer with my little John boat and I'd seen a couple, didn't catch anything. And then that winter I booked a trip with Steve. So that following summer I went up and like no sooner, there's like 15 minutes into it and Steve has a muskie in the net. And I'm like, wow, this, that shows you how bad I really am. I mean, this guy's got one in 15 minutes. Well, obviously I learned, you know, it doesn't work out as well, but so Steve kind of got me started in musky fishing. Obviously Steve and Eric got you involved. He got keys involved. So I, I mean, I think we should go egg Steve's house or something.
1: <laughs> I got, I got one question though, Jeff, you said you recorded that. Was it on VHS tape?
0: <laughs> yes, it was VHS. <laughs> and if you what th- it, it wasn't what you, like, hold on. Hold on a second. It wasn't like DVR, Brad. You had to actually like set your VHS to record at a certain time and you had to make sure that it switched over to the right channel. And there was sometimes it wouldn't switch to the right channel. You'd get, I don't know, like some infomercial or whatever for half an hour.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no question. I I remember those days really well. What year do you think that was, Jeff?
0: Gosh, I don't know. I'm guessing it was probably, I mean, it was probably around 2000, I would guess in that ballpark. Somewhere, I mean, I guess I've probably been muskie fishing for about 20, 22, 23 years, somewhere in there. I mean, I've been married for almost 22. It'd probably be right around the 2000 mark, 2000, 2001.
1: That's awesome. And is that basically the same time frame for you as well, Frank? Or was that maybe a hair earlier?
2: When I started muskie fishing? With Eric. Yeah, so it would have been like 97, 98. 97. It had to have been 1997, because I think I met Eric when I was in ninth grade. So it might have been 98. I bet you it was 1998, actually, now I think about it. Well, it was uh,
1: perfect timing for both of you in the sense of what kind of took place and how musky fishing has elevated since that 2000 time frame. I mean, think about that. It's really turned into its own animal.
2: Yeah, it's pretty impressive, actually, if you really think about the the progression of muskie fishing for sure since 2000 I mean, it's absolutely incredible how much it's changed in the last 23 years yeah i mean it, it's and from the quality of the fishery
1: to the equipment to the boats the electronics i mean boom 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 you could go right down the list right so it's pretty remarkable but uh i, I think we're all blessed being able to jump into it around that same era
2: yeah, and I mean how Deer Lake was just infested with muskies in the '90s, you know, and it was just a good place for Brady and I to cut our teeth into it and really build confidence. You know, being able to go out and catch a couple fish by yourself when you're 15 years old. It's, I don't. There's not a lot of musky lakes around here that you can do that. Out. I mean, the, the population was pretty intense on Deer
1: back then. Yeah, you don't really hear about bone and deer like you once did. I mean, don't get me wrong; I know there's guys still fishing it. They're probably cringing right now that we're talking about it, right? But uh, <laughs> most likely, <laughs> that's how how things start to roll. Though, I mean, you think about it, and, and that's part of the story. So, what Perfect. years did you start doing the tournament side of things? I mean, it's kind of interesting. You were traveling around with your grandpa, like you said you were doing a ton of fishing and then you started mixing in the musky side. When did you, you know, you graduated and you started doing the tournament stuff right away, Frank?
2: Pretty close. Cool. So like I was saying, my grandpa's stuff notoriously broke down. So he had a 1979 one Mr. Pike with a 50 horse Johnson VRO on it. And that motor actually was a good motor, but it ended up, uh, I guess it would be, I bought my first Ranger when I was twenty or twenty-one. Yeah, so it would have been about. I graduated high school in two thousand two. I two thousand four was the first year I I started fishing walleye tournaments. In two thousand five, I went out on the MWC and joined the NPA. And met some cool people and and at that time we were working with Llama Glass rods. I don't know. If a lot of people that listen to this podcast probably never heard of Lama Glass. Unfortunately, they kind of got out of the Midwest. Yeah, I bet you it was 2005, Brad. Right about, I think, when did we meet, Brad? 2004 or five,
1: Somewhere in that era. I mean, you were working for Lama Glass at that time, though, weren't you, Frank? You were actually repping?
2: Yeah, I was working with Gardner Sales, and Lama Glass was one of the product lines. And then, of course, Snowmaster Net, which a lot of people that musky fish really like Stowmaster Nets. Still to this day. And actually that guy's name was Matt Larson, the guy who invented that net. So you're doing the the rep thing, and I'm sure that probably opened some doors for the tournament side of things too. Yeah, it was kind of, well, of course I was broke too, you know. So getting deals on products and, you know, being able to gear up my boat to do some guiding on the St. Croix and start fishing more tournaments. You know, it was, Pretty helpful in that regard, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's interesting. I, I know my early years of this sport. I um, it's an addiction, and um, you might not be able to afford fuel, but you figure out a way to go do it so that you can get back on the water, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, again, we're different, right? we're we're characters right jeff so you you dig and you try to figure it out and you work overtime and you do whatever you got to do so that you can get back on the water or buy more gear i mean that's part of this whole uh experience as you
2: mold into a musky angler if you will yeah and then you know back then at glass sponsored tony and i remember going to a musky road rules seminar with laham glass rods to uh do questions and answer questions for people or whatever after the seminar and that was a long time ago too i think uh lauren morrison was there if anybody remembers her yeah i I think i was probably there frank maybe i
1: was one of the speakers i don't remember i think it was in medina Yep, you probably were there brad yeah i did quite a few of those when they came to minnesota years ago and I know they're going to come back to Minnesota this year, actually, I th- I believe next month. So I remember that Frank. And I mean, I knew you, but I didn't know you, Right. So it's so wild how small this industry is and, and you build relationships and you get to know different people and, and slowly, you know, they all wind up being friendships. I know Whitman was just talking about that too, you know, with the PMTT, but how many different people that he met through that tournament series and those
2: friendships are lifelong friendships at some point oh absolutely and start working the show circuit and you really get to know everybody and get to meet a lot of cool people doing that and build your musky network and then you start chasing the bite right brad well, that's that's the
1: main gig. I mean, we're always uh, looking for that next opportunity, that's for sure. And whether it be on a body of water that you fish for 20 years or it be a new body of water you haven't looked at in 20 years, we're all looking for that next bite. I don't know. It's extreme. It, it's a true poison, and it's a passion.
2: That's, again, why we are unique. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, I think we've all been chasing that, like, a. Uh, 15 to 20 years worth of stocking in a new lake you want to be there when that happens you don't want to miss out on that peak years of those first two or three year classes coming up in that system you know that's like forest lake mille Lacs, all of them had that vermilion and we were really lucky to have a boom years you know and that
1: bite that you're talking about, I think it launched a bunch of people's careers. Um, it launched some of my career with the guiding side of things. We were so blessed. And, and it was the creation of the cowgirl at that time. I mean, Carrie and I had it in 03. We, we started kind of pushing it in 04 and 05. We became a legit company. And I mean, it was a total explosion. I mean, the fisheries were prime and it was the perfect storm, if you will. Everything just kind of unloaded all at one time.
2: And that 05 was like ground zero, if you will. Right. yep, yeah, it definitely was. I, I was meeting up with Eric Brady and I were meeting Eric in Northern Wisconsin. And I'm sure you guys remember the Meps Maribus. They still make them. What is that, Brad? A single eight Colorado on that? I'm trying to remember. I think it was. Yeah. I remember looking at him like, whoa, Eric, this thing's huge. We caught fish with Eric on those baits and we were throwing bulldogs and Meps Maribos. Brady and I were going up to do a late season trip on Leech. We stopped at, I don't remember what bait, somewhere, but picked up my first cowgirl and brought it to Leech. And I remember casting it like, hey man, I think I got to follow. And I was like, oh wait, that's just the bait. Like, man, this thing is moving water. (laughs) Well, no, but I never, you know, you never seen anything like it before. You know, I was like, I need a new reel and a new rod just to work this thing, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it was like a Calcutta or a TE, you know. Some guys were using Trinidad. Yeah. And if I remember right, I mean, I really
1: started using them a bunch in 07. So, I mean, that's the time frame for
2: sure. Yeah, that made a big difference.
1: TE. I truly, either. truly did. I, you know, the Trinidad, I mean, I used to make the joke that if your boat winch broke on your trailer, you could just bolt on the old Trinidad and winch your boat out.
2: <laughs> I, and don't I truly believe that it,
1: it probably would have done it,
2: you know? Oh, uh, I, think, I, still, yeah. I still carry one in the boat. I think maybe we should put your Trinidad on your Ranger, Brad. Give it a try. Yeah. I mean, we sure <laughs> could. Yeah, why not? <laughs> make for a good <laughs> ad, that's for sure right yeah they probably haven't sold a trinidad in 10 years so they'd be probably happy to get them off the shelf <laughs> <laughs> but all yeah weird. so then i went out did the walleye stuff and that was fun still fun i still enjoy it to this day but brady and i musky fished a lot together and you know met you guys and did all that stuff and then we decided to give the pmtt a try uh, i used to hang out with jason summers and those guys and they were all fishing it and we'd musky fish together around here and kind of talk us into trying the PMTT in 2011, made the trek down to Kentucky. And it was like fishing on the moon. The first time you go there, <laughs> pretty crazy lake. And Jeff, you were, you, you, were fishing. You were first year was 2012
0: yeah. or did you do 2011? Nope. I did 2012. I believe the first year I did the entire trail I did. Yep.
2: Okay. so in 2011. The lake was up like 20 or 25 feet from Summer Pool. Pre-fishing, I had a follow on my first cast, and then I never saw another muskie for the rest of the trip. And uh, Brady ended up catching one on a mini Medusa on the first day of the tournament, and we ended up in 11th place. And I think Stevie actually won it that year, solo.
0: That's what I was going to say. I, th- I think he was solo that year, wasn't he? Yeah, yep, It was. <laughs> Yeah, I never got and, to experience uh, cave run it, lad. I always, when the few times I've been down there, it's always been, I, I guess I would say, like normal for spring. Nothing too crazy. We weren't fishing in parking lots and dumpsters and stuff.
2: Yeah, you know, I but, actually have a picture of Troy Bilberry standing on top of a porta potty from that trip that was underwater. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll never
1: forget the first time I went to cave and I'm looking at the access and I'm like, this is really crazy. Why do you have to back down 150, 200 yards to dump your boat in? And then it dawned on me, um, because of that spring flooding that they a lot of times get, uh, that's why the accesses are built the way they're built. And, and that's kind of the way it is throughout the whole South when it comes to different reservoirs. If they're not capable of um, managing their water levels, they, they have these long, crazy accesses so that's why they're the the way they are parking lots are up high and the dock might be way down there but that's the way it works yeah that
2: bull launch is crazy hun i remember i know exactly what you're talking about Brad. you're like backing up for 150 yards are we (laughs) right (laughs) right Right. (laughs) it's pretty cool though and then we went back there in 2012 and went back to where brady caught that muskie on a and, a Medusa. and I'm like, Brady, that, that tree way up there, I'm pretty sure is where you caught that fish. It was, you know, 25 feet above our heads. <laughs> Just wild, you know, totally had to relearn everything. So it's kind of a pretty unique place.
1: That's kind of what triggers what we were talking about earlier, though. That's how you learn different things um, on those tournament trails. And when you're dealing with fluctuations, like you're talking... You're bound to learn something, right? I mean, it's just you're fishing some of the most extreme conditions that anybody could ever dream of. And because of that, it stretches you and it makes you think
2: a little harder and it makes you a better angler at the end of the day. I totally agree with that. And all those spot, every spot the trail takes you to has got its nuances and plenty of things that are out of your norm, you know. You know, we're Minnesota guys and you go to Eagle river and it's a lot different program than what we're used to doing. I mean, to a certain degree anyways, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it might be, I don't care what state you're in, you
1: know, there's always the idiosyncrasies that kind of match up from state to state body of water to body of water. But then there's some of those extremes where you're going to be out of your element when you're fishing different water like that, that, uh, It might be something totally bizarre that you're doing versus what you've ever done before. And so if you think about that, that's one of the coolest things about having the opportunity to travel, whether it's tournament fishing or it's me going down to fish with Chase, you know, in West Virginia or Ohio or PA or wherever you might go. It's remarkable the things that you can put together and learn. And again, then that comes back to the networking side that we were talking about early in this whole podcast having that network and having people that you can count on and share with, and they share back with you, there's nothing more important than
2: that. I mean, that's how you put more fish in the boat. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when we went to Alum Creek in Ohio, that was a a really interesting reservoir too. And and it was the first time I really realized that spoon plugs catch a lot of muskies. I don't know if you guys use spoon plugs or not, but maybe I shouldn't have said that. (laughs) <laughs> now, now you're talking up Jeff's
1: alley. There, I mean, I have some, but I know who was it that we were visiting with, Jeff, that was talking flugs with you.
0: It was uh, Spence Petros. Oh yeah, Spence Petros. And did you happen to see Spence at the Chicago show? I talked
1: to him for quite some time.
0: I actually didn't see him at all. No, I didn't even see him walking around. Really? I'm not. Um, a, I'm not as big a deal as you are, though, Brad. So you got to understand <laughs> that, right? <laughs> I don't know about that. People but, uh, don't go out of their way to come visit me in my booth. They do for you.
1: Uh, maybe, but I, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. Um, if he would have known or, or seen you, I guarantee you, he would have talked to you. He's,
2: uh, he's a great guy. Absolute great guy. Yeah, you know, he probably forgot more about muskie fishing than I know. That's for sure.
1: He's still getting after it. I think, if I remember right, he just turned 80. Is that correct,
0: Jeff? Yep. I believe it was 80. Yep. I, I just, it blows my mind. I
1: mean, I, I hope to be able to do what he's doing. You know, I've, I've got a few years yet, but I, it's remarkable what that man has accomplished. That's for sure. I, I didn't mean to cut
2: you off there, Frank. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say that spoon plug fishing is, you know, so structure oriented and you can really get to right where you need to be and stay there consistently. You know, there's no jive dive charts or, anything like that so brady and i were just letting out x amount of line going in towards shore figure out well it's 65 feet I'm, i can't remember the math anymore but it would hit the bottom at 14 feet and we made our own dive charts and we were fishing schools of carp the second day of the championship we stuck a fish and i guess that fish was good enough for third place for team of the year so spoon plugs for the save man and i would have yes. never guessed that. <laughs> well, it's remarkable that you had them in the boat, Frank.
1: I mean, was that something that you had used previously, or was it something that you had heard? Was that networking that helped you get there? or How did that happen? Well, so Eric
2: is my Muskie mentor, and the Grizz is my Walleye Other Stuff mentor and a great friend of mine. He always talked about food plugs, and he ended up handing me a couple, and I ended up bringing them to the walleye that's wild yeah i mean grizz is the walleye version of Spence. Of you know I mean, he's still guiding on the river all season he, he just turned 81 two days ago that's so. truly truly remarkable
1: i mean the history of his whole career that's another whole story i mean it's quite bizarre and, and he's done it a long time i don't know what year he started guiding but it it's been a long long career i've seen him across the the state of minnesota he had his little camper in the back of his truck and guided all over the place mille Lacs, primarily for quite a few years in the early 2000s i i don't know he he's a he's a character he's a heck of a fisherman and
2: just longevity as being a guide it's uh it's pretty remarkable well you know i like to fancy myself as a pretty fishy guy you know we're jigging walleyes. I feel like I can hang with the best of them. And that guy has kicked my ass on the Mississippi river, vertical jigging for 15 years. He's got the cadence, got the gift, man. He's a fish whisperer. I don't know how else to put it. And he doesn't have fancy electronics. We're in a John boat. You know, (laughs) he's using a Vexlar. He just knows where he's going. And he's knows the water and how to read current themes and it's truly impressive i'd still i mean and spence
1: kind of talked a little bit about this briefly on the the podcast we did with him but you know ultimately he he's really not that keen on the new electronics he says i've done this long enough there's no reason that i need it and i find that remarkable too you know i mean that I'm one of those guys I want to keep trying to learn more and more about the electronic side. And I feel like if I'm not, I'm probably getting outdated and I don't know. It's interesting talking to different people. You know, I, I visit with Dick Pearson quite often and, and Dick is, is still trying to learn more electronics. And he's funny cause he'll, he'll say, well, I'm so old. I just use a rock and a string, you know, for his depth. But <laughs> That's not really the truth. I mean, he is continually trying to learn as well, and I, I don't know. I just think you can elevate your game the more you learn. But at the end of the day, you still got to remember a couple things, and, and that experience that you've had throughout all your years of fishing is definitely something to lean on. You can't replace that. No matter how many electronics you have, experience still wins. Now, you got to keep that under control, too. You can't fish memories. So. There's two sides to that, but uh, the more we can learn and the, the fishier we get, you know, and, and experience is still number one.
2: I don't care who you are. I totally agree. I mean, there's always a certain, because of your memories you have a starting point, but you have a good foundation of an understanding of what muskies do through your experience. And it's like, let's say you go to a lake and it's June, 20 years of muskie fishing in June tells you gives you a pretty good good starting point and if you fish memories a lot of those weed beds change and it's not always the same program but it's a lot easier to adapt and be confident i mean if you're not confident in your musky fishing that's a kind of a bad combination you got (laughs) to trust that every cast it could happen well you either trust it or you're stupid like me and you just believe that you're going to catch every cast (laughs) Well, that's so. the that's the attitude you have to have. You know, Jason Summers always had that attitude when I fish with him. He's like, I'll probably catch one on this cast, say a hundred times a day. That guy caught a ton of muskies. <laughs> you know. Yep. Yeah. Got to know what's going to happen. You can't replace that.
1: That's for sure. I mean, you definitely have to have. Some guys call it PMA. I don't. Know. I haven't heard that term for a long time, but positive musky attitude. And, and PMA is a big part of this sport, and there's no question about it. When you're fishing negative or you're fishing frustrated, man, it's going to be a frustrating day because it's only going to compound from there. It's going to get worse. So you definitely want to have that uh, positive vibe in the boat. And not only for yourself, but you know when you're down, your neighbor that's standing in the boat with you is probably going to go down that same path. I mean, that's human nature.
2: So, you got to keep that positive attitude. There's no question. Yeah, for sure. And don't get tricked into give up trolling. That's a that's a comp out. <laughs> you got to keep your head in the game.
0: All right, Frank. So you know we we typically have uh, guests on, and we kind of either ask for tips or or uh, something along that line, something to help somebody catch more muskies. So let's talk a little bit about your your journey. You know, possibly there had to have been a moment or a technique or like something to really like spark you, you know, do you have anything that do you have, do you have like a instance, I guess, that kind of changed your thoughts or process on musky fishing?
2: I guess what I would take from what I was gifted by Eric really is if you, if you run into a kid or a younger person struggling to catch their first musky, just remember that if you take that half hour or 45 minutes to, to talk to that person and, and encourage them and push them in the right direction. You could really set somebody up for a lifelong journey of fishing and muskie fishing or fishing in general, mentoring people into the sports, a really big deal good for the future of muskies and good for the future of the muskie industry. And, uh, I mean, if it wasn't for Eric, I, I don't know if I'd still be a muskie fisherman, you know, that, that little bit of time he took and a lot of time he took, after that moment, really helped me and Brady develop as anglers, and pretty thankful for that, to be honest. with you Have you been able to kind of repay
1: that? I mean, I look at it this way. If uh, you have a mentor like that, you definitely want to try to mentor somebody else with that, right? So have you had that opportunity yet, Frank?
2: Uh, yeah, um, when I was in the NPA, me and a group of guys formed a uh, a committee uh, for youth fishing. And we used to put on youth fishing events at the MWC tournaments, And then we formed a nonprofit called fishing for knowledge. And we used to do a lot of inner city stuff to teach kids how to fish or expose them to fishing. And we did that for quite a few years. So, Is that
1: something that's still of,
2: going or it, did that kind of end? Uh, it kind of fizzled out, unfortunately, but people get busy and, It's hard to keep the, uh, the, the journey going, I guess. I don't know, a lot of those guys don't fish tournaments anymore, aren't even involved in the industry anymore. So probably something I should think about.
1: Well, I can tell you, I mean, this is kind of interesting for me and my side of the world, I, uh, growing up, I don't know if you guys remember CMT, the channel CMT was, I think it was a cable deal or maybe a dish type of deal. Back in the day, on Sundays, they would always have the Bassmasters on every Sunday morning. And it was oh, yeah. something that I did it religiously, man. I watched it and watched it every week. And, and I did a lot of bass fishing as a kid. And I begged my parents, I think I was between 10 and 12 years old, to take me to a local ranger dealership where Denny Brower was going to do a presentation. Probably, I, I don't know how many listeners are going to know that name, Denny Brower, but He was known as they should. Yeah. I mean, he, uh, he was known for his jigging, um, abilities and he dominated, um, was always up in that top 15 or whatever for many, many years. And he just retired, I don't know, maybe five years ago, something like that. That day I looked at him standing in that boat doing his whole presentation And I told myself one day I'm going to own a ranger boat, you know, and I'm a 10 to 12 year old kid. Right. And remarkably enough, that would have been in like 80, 82. Um, in 2003 I was asked to do a presentation at my local ranger dealership and lo and behold, Denny's son, Chad, who was also fishing the Bassmasters at that time, he was there doing a seminar on the same day I was and so I got to talk to Chad, and I said, you know, Chad, I go, please tell your dad what kind of effect he had on me. Yeah, I switched from Bass, and I went to Muskie, but um, without some of that, I might not know where I am, right? And so I, I've always thought thought about that, and I've always uh, considered that somehow, some way, that it's important to get youth involved. And, and so one of my ideas, and I, I went to Ranger, and I, I said, at the corporate level, and I said, guys, we need to do some kind of a program for the youth. Ranger said, well, you know, it's kind of not part of the budget at this point. And I don't remember what year this was, probably 2010, something like that, maybe 08. But anyway, I'm visiting with them. They said, why don't you try it with your local dealership and see what kind of grip you can get? And I said, yep, sounds good. So I go to my local dealership. I visit with them. I say, hey, man, we we need to do some sort of a youth day. And the concept was, is that the kids would come in, they'd get a punch card and they had to visit six of the different presentations that were going on that day. And then if they got their punch card punched by at least six of them out of the eight that we were doing, they would get their little t-shirt, which was like basically a a, um, pro Jersey, if you will. So anybody that sponsored the day would have their logo on the back of this t shirt, so it kind of looked like a fishing jersey, right? They had to, it was mandatory that they went through boater safety. So our local CO came in and did a boater safety type deal. And so that was one of the punches that they had to do. I did a presentation on musky angling, and uh, there was a guy there that did a bass presentation. There was a guy that did a, a walleye presentation. There was some electronics types presentations. But what really truly happened with this whole event is I think we we planned it, and in a week and a half, we ended up having it, and I believe we had like 167 kids. Now, keep in mind that's 167 kids, but mom or dad or both or maybe grandparents or family friends were bringing those kids, and my dealership just went crazy. Um, The following year, I think we had 354 kids, and it just kept snowballing from there. Um, And I don't know. I'm not as involved in it as I once was. But um, I definitely think it's worthy of looking at something like that because it affected my life just the same way that Eric Jensen affected your life, and I—I I mean, angling's a, a sport that you can do from the time you can walk to the time that uh, maybe you're getting pushed in a wheelchair to the end of the dock. You know what I mean? So it's it's, it's a cool cool sport that. Uh, it's irreplaceable in my mind, and um, if we can help the youth
2: get there, I think that's really important. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yep, it's super critical, and like you said, it's you can be a great football player all the way through high school, but that's that's it. <laughs> you know, you can fish your whole life. Exactly. So, to
1: it's large really cool that course. they
2: have all that. That high schools or middle schools are putting together fishing clubs. I think that's great.
1: It truly is. And and now it's taken it to another level with the collegiate side. And that's not only bass. It's not only walleye um, or multi-species um, here in the state of Minnesota. And I don't know, Jeff may, maybe can share, but there is a muskie, uh, high school muskie tournament trail
0: here in Minnesota as well. Yeah, that's super cool. <laughs> I can't say I've heard that I wish in, in definitely... Wisconsin though, but I mean, I've definitely heard of it in you know, like over in Minnesota, but I know there's a lot of fishing clubs around here. I know recently, I think Doug Wagner was at one of our local ones. And so, I mean, there's definitely a lot of those fishing clubs coming around, which wasn't something that I had access to when I was a kid. Yeah, it's no, we definitely did <laughs> <laughs> it. It's absolutely yeah.
1: huge. And I think, uh, I don't know, I, it's pretty incredible, that to think, and I would encourage anybody out there. I mean, you can volunteer some of your time for that and, and, I mean, it's quite rewarding, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, you know, we're all secretly selfish, and when you get to the watch and there's 35 rigs at the park there, you know, you're kind of bummed out. It's a good thing. Keeping this sport alive. Yep, and it takes people to do it. So if you get a chance, like I'm saying, to give a guy a nudge in the right direction to keep his head in the game and, or her head in the game and help them out, that's what it's all about.
0: All right, Frank, I want to thank you for coming out, talking musky fishing with us, kind of give a little history lesson on, you know, you and what you've done and uh, and also kind of trying to give people a nudge into getting kids into fishing. It's definitely an important thing for us to continue to do as we try to continue to grow musky fishing and try to maintain it throughout the, you know, the future because obviously if we don't have these anglers coming up behind us, things get a little more difficult that way. So I want to thank you for that. And, of course, we want to thank our listeners for putting up with us for the episode. We'll see everybody again next Wednesday. Thank you, guys.